Well, I want to thank you for joining us for a good Friday of the year 2020. And I know when this year began that we really had no idea that we'd be spending Good Friday online, worshiping with each other. But I just want to thank you for joining us and uh, being a part of this service. I know it's not what we ever thought it would be. You know, there are different kinds of stress and pressures that we're all dealing with and, and times seem to be just kind of in an upheaval and you might be somewhat discouraged. Maybe you're in a time of, of being discouraged right now because of financial uncertainty or or maybe it's health concerns for you or for loved ones or or maybe the social distancing is just taking a toll on you and I know times are stressful but what I want us to do today is I want us to look at the cross of Jesus to find comfort because you see even though it was a brutal and horrible thing that happened to Jesus it ultimately brings us comfort when we understand the cross and why he went to that cross so the cross was originally an emblem of suffering and of shame, and it's actually a source of comfort, though, for those of us who begin to understand it and those of us who know Jesus as Lord. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at the cross through the eyes of the disciples of Jesus. And those men, they had heavy hearts. They were fearful. They were discouraged in that time because they didn't understand what was happening. So what I want us to do is, is I want us to think their thoughts. I want us to feel their emotions that they would have had. But most importantly, I want us to experience the joy and the peace that they found when they discovered the true meaning of the cross. So first of all, when I look at the story of the cross, I, I think that when the disciples first saw Jesus hanging on that cross, they had to have been not only fearful for their own lives, and they were upset because Jesus was dying, and they had overwhelming grief, but I believe that they also, in that moment, would have experienced disillusionment. I think that they were probably disillusioned with Jesus. They had been convinced that he was the Messiah. They had been convinced that he was the Savior of the world. They had good reason to believe that. They had witnessed Jesus perform miracles. He'd done amazing things. He turned water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He lifted him up from the dead. They had been captivated by his teaching. They had heard him confirm his deity and who he was. They had participated in the triumphal entry with Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Messiah. And they had left their occupations to follow him. They had given up much to follow Jesus. But now here he was dying on a cross, and they seemed to be powerless against it all, and Jesus even seemed to be powerless in that moment. It makes me think, have you ever felt like God was powerless to do something in your life? you ever been facing something that you wonder, God, where are you and why aren't you acting? I believe that you are the God of the universe. I believe that you control all things. I believe that you can heal this person. I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can overcome the obstacle that I'm facing, yet it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. I think in that moment as Jesus hung on the cross, that's how the disciples felt. They were overwhelmed and they were wondering why God wasn't acting, why God wasn't overcoming this situation. You see, the disciples, they had to wonder why Jesus was not doing anything and why he was giving up his life in that moment. I mean, they had thought that Jesus was going to take over the Roman Empire, right? They thought that he was going to come in and, and conquer the Roman Empire and then rule for them and rule over the world. So when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested late at night, and then by 9 a.m. in the morning, he was hanging on a cross I think they were not only shocked and in grief, but I think that they were disillusioned 
in that moment. They thought that he was the Messiah. Two of the disciples said, we had hopes that he was going to be the Messiah who would deliver Israel. So I want to pause right now. I just want to say, you can be disillusioned with Jesus if you have a misconception about what he will do for you. Those disciples had a misconception about what he was really going to do for them. And we can be disillusioned by Jesus when we believe the wrong things about him, when we believe wrongly about what he will do for us. If you think that following Jesus will bring nothing but sunshine, peace, and prosperity, then you will lose hope when suffering comes your way. And right now we're in a climate of suffering. Right now we're in a a culture of separation. Right now we're facing something like we've never faced before. There's no precedent for this. We don't understand what's happening. And we can become disillusioned with God, with Jesus, if we don't understand what he is really promising to do for us. You look at the cross and there's Jesus, our leader, dying. And his friends, they've all forsaken him. And I would say that if you see Jesus as a wise counselor who will solve all of your problems and bring family harmony immediately, then you're going to be disillusioned. Disillusioned. You've got to look at Jesus dying on the cross. His mother was there. She was present, but we don't read anything about his father. We don't know what had happened to Joseph. He wasn't there. Maybe he had died. We also know that his brothers didn't even believe in him at that point. So he didn't have those people there supporting him like you would expect. If you see Jesus as a personal defender who will protect you against all disappointment in people, then you're going to be disillusioned. You just look at the cross, and there's Jesus. People have forsaken him. If you see Jesus as a great physician who's going to heal you of all your diseases, then you're going to be disillusioned. You look at the cross. Even Jesus suffered as no man had ever suffered before, and he died at the age of 33. You see, sometimes we have the wrong thoughts about how he's going to heal us. And sometimes he heals us physically, but not always. What he's more concerned with is our spiritual healing. So if we're just focused on, well, Jesus, why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you heal my child? Why didn't you heal that person that I prayed for? We have to understand there's a bigger picture, and he doesn't promise to always heal us physically. It's a point that all of us will eventually die. It's what happens after that is where the ultimate promise is. The Bible says when we place our faith in Jesus Christ that we are given the promise of resurrection to new life. See, the truth about Jesus is this. He is our protector. He is our counselor. He is our great physician. But we must see him in light of the eternal life that he is granting us or we will be disillusioned in this life. If we think all those promises are just for this life, we're going to be disillusioned and frustrated. And I think the disciples in that moment, they were disillusioned because they did not yet fully understand the impact of the cross. They didn't fully understand what Jesus was doing. But not only were they disillusioned, I think they were distraught. I think they were distraught by the evil in this world. Imagine how the disciples felt as they saw the Messiah hanging on the cross. I try to put myself there visually. I try to put myself in that and have a mental picture of that. And it's one of the reasons I really like the movie The Passion of the Christ. It's a difficult movie to watch. It's really the only rated R movie that I'll see, but it's because of um, the brutality of what happened to Jesus is why it's rated R. And it helps me begin to understand somewhat and comprehend what he went through for me and to see the evil in this world that would do something like that. You see, 
Sometimes the evil in this world, though, can begin to overwhelm us, and it can feel overwhelming, and we can feel outnumbered, and, and it can seem like evil is taking over. I can tell you, if you simply look at the news every day or just watch social media and your feed, then you're going to end up feeling distraught by the evil in the world. You're going to feel overwhelmed and overcome by evil. You think of those disciples when Jesus was arrested in the garden. It was basically an army of men that showed up. And the Bible says that the disciples afterwards, they all ran. And wouldn't you? I mean, there was only 11 of them and there were hundreds of the opposition coming. They were just fishermen. There were soldiers coming after them. And they had one sword among them that we know of. And those guys had clubs and spears and weapons. And it seemed like the opposition, like the enemy, was just overwhelming them. And then when they saw Jesus dying on that cross, they must have just felt helpless against the evil in this world. Their hope was dying on that cross. You know, it's easy for us to get distraught over the power of evil in our world. And the opposition to Jesus seems so powerful. There's, there's so many that oppose Jesus. There's so many that oppose the cross. There's so many that oppose religion. So what can we do? Well, some Christians like Peter would want to fight with worldly weapons. Peter tried to fight on behalf of Jesus, and Jesus stopped him. Remember in the garden when he pulled out his sword and he, he swung and he, at Malchus, and either Peter had bad aim or, or Malchus dodged at the last second and ended you know, up cutting his ear off instead of, instead of hitting him where he probably wanted to hit him. And then Jesus healed Malchus's ear, and, and he told Peter, let's, let's not do that. This, that's not the way we're going to fight this war. So how do we fight the opposition? How do we fight the evil in this world? Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 says this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What he's talking about there is that the weapon we fight with are not the weapons of this world. The weapons we fight with are the Bible, the very Word of God, and with prayer, through prayer, to lift up others in prayer, to pray over this world, to pray over the souls of the people we know that don't know Jesus yet. I think the Lord would say to us individually and as a church, don't lose confidence in the cross. You lift high that cross and has power to overcome. And when we pray with the power of the cross, then God does amazing things. God's calling us as a church to become a people of prayer. He's calling us as a church to be people of his word. And I think that's why things have been stripped away from us. God has allowed it. Again, we don't know if God caused this pandemic or if he has just simply allowed it because of the sinful nature and the broken nature of this world. There's a lot of ugliness that happens that God doesn't cause, but that he uses. Because one thing we know about our God is that he's not sitting in heaven going, whoa, what happened down there? He didn't turn his back for a moment and stop looking and then get surprised by this pandemic and say, well, now what do I do? How do I, how do I help my church now that they can't meet? No, God knew this was coming. He saw it coming. And I believe he's using it to strip away the things of this world, to strip away things that distract us and to get us focused back on him, to look to him, to be in his word, to be people of his word, to be studying his word, to be reading his word, to be writing his word in our hearts. And I believe that's why, God, um, that's why God showed me last year to begin studying through the Bible this year. That's why we've been reading through the Bible in the year 2020. That's why we've been preaching through the Bible in the year 2020, is to set our hearts on God, to understand his word, and to put it in our hearts so that we can know what we believe and so that we can begin to use it to fight the battles that we face in this world. 
So my prayer for you, my hope for you is that on this Good Friday, you are sinking into the presence of God, that you are, you are setting your heart in his word, that you are lifting up everything in prayer, that you are turning your life over to him to say, God, today, today while I'm in isolation, today in the, in the, um, in the, the moments of my life that I would normally be distracted by other things, today I'm going to set my heart and my eyes on you, God, and I'm going to draw nearer to you through this time. I know many of us, we want things to go back to normal after this, and, and we have to ask ourselves, what really is normal, and do we really want to go back to where we were? Was it really such a great place, or are we being refined in this time so that we are becoming more like Christ as we sink into his word, as we pray more, as we spend more time with him? Maybe, maybe just maybe, things are becoming better because we are, as a church body, we are drawing nearer to God in our individual lives so that his church can become even more powerful. See, I think God's doing amazing things through this time. And we're to become people of prayer. We're to become people that focus on the power of his cross. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, I think too often we're looking for a sign from God, or we're we're just seeking wisdom from God. And God is saying, if you will just look at the cross and Christ crucified, if you will believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, he died on the cross for your sin, he not only died on the cross, but he went to the grave, and then he rose from the grave, and he sits at God's right hand so that now you can have his power living inside of you by his Holy Spirit. That is what empowers you. And then when you feed that Holy Spirit by studying God's word and by spending fellowship time with God in prayer, then you begin to see the power of Christ crucified. Then you begin to see the power of the cross like you never experienced before. You see, understanding the cross of Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. You want signs from God? You want want wisdom from God? Then you seek the cross of Christ and you look to his word and you look at the power of the cross over death and then you begin to realize the power and the wisdom of God. See, no matter what this world brings at us, the cross will prevail. The cross has continued to prevail, and the cross will continue to prevail. So set your eyes on the cross this Easter. Seek the wisdom of God this Easter. And I believe that the power of God will prevail. And I believe God's church is going to become even more powerful through this time than we could have ever have imagined. See, I think People are disillusioned by this pandemic. People are discouraged by this pandemic. And the power of the cross is going to bring wisdom, the wisdom of God to many, as they seek for hope by looking to and seeking God this Easter. I saw a statistic in a, in a recent poll that was done that said one out of five people who claim no Christianity, people who claim that they don't even believe in God, one out of five are now looking to the Bible for answers and are now searching online to listen to sermons. You see, I think now, right now, that God is preparing the soil of hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus. 
So my prayer is that you, church, would invite everybody you know, everybody you can think of. Get on Facebook, message people, go to your contacts list and text everybody to join us Sunday morning for our Easter service because people are hungry and people are searching and people are looking for hope and we know that they can only find it through the power of the cross, through hope in Jesus, through looking to God's word. And on Sunday, we're going to present the gospel to them like they've probably never heard before. And I believe that God is going to save many souls through this Easter. So invite everybody you know, 1030, Sunday morning, Facebook Live. And let's commit to us a church to pray for God to reach the world with the power of his cross this Easter. You see, the cross reveals that we're not okay. The cross reveals that we have sin. The the cross reveals the hideousness of sin. The cross brings out our insecurities. The cross, at first glance, seems discouraging and dark. But there were two factors that changed the cross from an instrument of distress to one of hope and victory. You see, those disciples, like I said, I think they were disillusioned. I think they were distressed. I think they were discouraged in that moment. But then there were two factors that happened. The first one, of course, was the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. The disciples came down from Golgotha's hill. That's a hard word to say when you're talking fast. Came down from Golgotha's hill full of despair. But when they were meeting behind locked doors on the first day of the week, suddenly Jesus appeared to them. And they realized that Jesus was stronger than death. They realized that Jesus could conquer death. They realized that the the cross being empty was not the final word. That there was the resurrection of Christ that proved the power of Jesus to overcome death. And they realized he is the Messiah. They had just had a misconception of what the Messiah would do and how he would do it. He had conquered the grave and he had conquered sin. That's why Romans 1.4 says this, says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the beautiful thing is the cross is empty, but the tomb is also empty, and Jesus Christ is alive. The second factor that changed the cross from an instrument of despair and discouragement to one of joy uh, for the disciples was their understanding and the purpose of the cross. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not something outside of God's plan or outside of God's will. It was not even a momentary victory for the enemies of Jesus. The cross was designed by God from the creation of the world to be a payment of sins for all mankind. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You see, God had said since the very, very beginning, If you sin, you will die. And God had said that there is life in the blood. And God's justice was not going to be satisfied without a perfect blood sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And that is why in the Old Testament he was conditioning man by having them bring an animal sacrifice to the temple. You wonder why did they have to bring those? Well, the Bible said the blood of bulls and goats wouldn't take away sin. But what God was doing is he was preparing man to understand that sin brings death and that someone would have to die for the sins of humanity to be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And when Jesus stepped onto the scene at the Jordan River, John the Baptist identified him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And suddenly it was made clear that there would be one sacrifice that would pay for the sins of everyone. 
So Jesus was then led like a sheep to the slaughter. And the blood of Jesus was shed on our behalf. His blood was spilt from the crown of thorns that pierced his brow. I imagine blood flowed from his face when the soldiers punched him. Blood came from his shoulders that that were rubbed raw as he carried the cross up the hill. The whip that lashed open his back caused his blood to spill. He skinned his knees and his elbows when he fell, trying to carry that cross. The nails in his hands and in his feet caused blood to pour out. Then there was a spear in his side. More blood came out. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. You know, there's a song that I've been listening to lately, and it's called Power in the Blood. And it basically just over and over says there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. We used to sing an old hymn that said, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going to remember the body and blood of Jesus together now as we take Holy Communion together for the first time online. And that's something that I have really missed as we've not been able to gather as a church family. And um, hopefully you have a cracker or some bread available and, and maybe some juice. If you don't have juice, don't stress over that. It's not about the grape juice or the wine. It's, it's about drinking in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. So even if it's water, um, get some kind of drink that you can drink and, and remember and grab a cracker and some bread. And we're going to have Holy Communion together as we gather um, this Good Friday online. I want to read a passage of Scripture, and it's where Jesus... Um, He institutes the Lord's Supper, and it's found in Mark chapter 14, and I just wanted to read it, and then I will walk us through, and we'll take communion together as a church family. I think it's going to be a powerful moment as we do this together, even though we are scattered as a church, we know that across the region, we are taking communion together as a church body. Here's what Mark chapter 14, starting verse 22 says, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to take Holy Communion together as a church family. And Lord, even though we are the church scattered right now, we believe that you're doing something powerful. We believe in the power of the cross. We believe in the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the power over the dead. And Father, we, as we take communion in just a moment, we just thank you that we have this opportunity. Through the power of... um, or the gift of the internet that we can still gather 
and that we can still have communion together, that we can still worship together. So God, we prepare our hearts right now just to set our hearts on you and the sacrifice that you've made for us. And we thank you for this opportunity to take communion together. If you would take your bread or your cracker or whatever it is that you have, and and I would ask you to just break it, just as Jesus broke the bread. We're going to break it and, you know, Sometimes it's symbolic of just thinking of what Jesus went through and how his body was broken for you and how he gave it for you. And take the the cracker of bread now and just remember the sacrifice of Jesus and what his body went through. Now, if you would just take a cup of juice and... As you drink this, remember his blood. It was poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. Remember his blood that, that was shed for you, that, that the Bible tells us when we place our faith in Jesus, his blood washes us clean. So just do this in remembrance of Christ's blood. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we can take communion together as a church family. And God, though it's different than we ever expected for this Good Friday in 2020, Lord, we still believe in the power of your word. We still believe in the power of the sacrifice. We still believe in the power of the cross. And we believe, Lord, that you are doing a great work. So I just pray right now for everyone who is joining in. I lift them up to you and I pray, Lord, that if they're discouraged in any way, if they're disillusioned in any way, God, that you would give them peace and joy. You would remind them of the power of the cross. You would remind them that you are not surprised by any of this that we're going through. And that, God, you would just set in their hearts the hope that comes through faith in Jesus and that you have a plan through this and beyond this. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.